is Dakota. Otherwise, people know me as Modified Mermaid. And I am a small collector from the Netherlands. And my story is kind of based on a true story. Uh, seven years ago, I guess, my grandpa got murdered. Well, actually, he did suicide, but there's more behind the suicide because he didn't do it himself. Um, where should I start? When I was younger, my grandmother had an accident in a car and she had to go to the hospital and they make a big mistake in the hospital and they um, took the photo and dropped it upside down and they cut a piece of bone in my grandmother, her spinal. So when my grandmother was like around 30 years old, she looks and walks like a granny, for real granny. And my grandmother had two sons. One son she never had contact with and the other she did. And my grandmother got dementia, I guess, when she was 40. So she went to like a special elder house and my grandpa always go there. And without us knowing, my grandmother, her son, that she never had contact with, visited my grandmother. And he got my grandmother signed the testament papers. So when my grandmother would die, he would get all the money. So eventually my grandmother dies. And we went on the funeral and one moment the doors open and everybody watched what's happening. And her son, his name is Max, came into the, at the funeral. He walks to the coffin, looks at his grandmother, starts laughing at my grandpa and said, well, I have to know if she's really dead. And then the whole situation started. Without my grandfather knowing is that my grandfather owned nothing. My grandfather was married with my grandmother. So normally if somebody dies, the man or the wife who stays behind get all the money. But this time her son Max owns all the money. So the punishment for my grandfather begins. First of all, he took all my grandmother's her jewelry and stuff. And um, he walks into my grandpa's house whenever he wants to. He was changing the key locks and stuff. And my grandfather just fell in love with another woman that also was in the elder's house. And he always asked like, hey, her husband is here, grandma's in here. We just have a good time, no relationship, but just have a good time. Is it okay for you? And so we as family said, yeah, that's okay. And every time my grandpa was with the new woman, my, I guess, uncle came to the house and starts rubbing stuff and, and, and breaking in and changing locks and stuff. And we saw my grandpa getting sicker and sicker and sicker, but he never told us about what happening really. And one day he left a, a note at his computer with, this is the end. And eight days later, my mom got called by the cops like, hey, your father is missing. Do you know where your father could be? So my mom told him like, hey, he got a new wife, so he's probably on vacation. They're having a good time. And we know all the, the stuff going on with Max. So he probably want to get his head clear and 
have a good life. Well, we still uh, don't can find anything of him. Is it okay that we can go into the house? So the cops go into the house and they found my grandfather eight days later hanging in his living room with a noob a loose around his neck. Now this had a very big impact on me and I want to have some answers because grandpa was never like a sad man or depression or stuff. So my father took the computer and trying to find anything, any a clue for the suicide thing going on or stuff. And we didn't find anything. But then one day Max was starting putting uh, lost cuts. So he was like spreading the, the, the story and stuff. And I really think that Max got my grandpa crazy for like stalking and breaking his house and beating up my grandpa and all that kind of stuff that my grandpa didn't really put suicide but just put in a corner and he had no no doors in his mind anymore to get out so he stepped out of life and till the day now I'm still having some questions and I wanted to talk with Max like why how i want to step in his mind i want to really want to step in the mind of a of a killer it's like you standing in front of a train and you're thinking what would it be and how would it feel when i step on the train wreck and, and the train hits me but you don't do it but in your mind it, it's it's daring and I remember since I was like four years old, I got like voices in my head, voices telling me things to do, hurting people. Because when I was two days old, my biological dad left me. And when I was 18 years old, I want to know who my dad was. And my mom, my mom always was kind of worried about it and she don't want it told her what happened as me or as a baby. She told me that I was a laboratorium baby. So that means that my biological dad had to bring his, you know what, into the doctor and then it would go in my mom because my mom can't be normal pregnant. And when I was 18 years old, I got all the paperwork from the lawyers and stuff and I wrote things that was raped and that I that he left me at families at all or the bars and he never was there for me. He just wanna have me to show the world like look this is my kid but that's it. Just only the fame and that was it. So as a young kid I already have like feelings of hurting people. If you hurt me I wanna hurt you twice beds. So when it came around with my grandfather, I saw some lights and I was like, no, I don't want to hurt this person. I want to know why he hurt my grandfather. But before I wanted to face the person, I wanted to write a real person, like some an, an inmate. So I start with James River and kind of told my story. James Rivers claims that he was like an old vampire and he shot his grandmother in the knees, drank his blood and set the house on fire with her inside it. And
and I started talking to him and I told him like, hey man, this is going on with my grandfather. Uh, my feelings that he got murdered, like because all the, the, the things that happened, the beating ups, the, the, the psychological games that they play with their minds. And I didn't feel any harm or something talking to a serial killer. It felt like a, a relief, like somebody want to talk about with me, not proud, but just like stepping in their world. So I wrote with James River first, but he didn't give me the answers that I really wanted to. So I started writing bigger names. and. Some of the people that I wrote were literally honest to me, like in details. And something said to me, this is very interesting. And one day I got like a, a souvenir. And I'd opened it and it was a souvenir from a serial killer. And I was like, why do you send me arts? So I hang it up on my wall and was kind of proud. I don't know why. And it looks great. And it, it was something people was afraid of. And I was like, no, those people also have a voice to talk about. So first time I wrote with a serial killer, it was kind of scary and, and getting gifts and stuff. And still stuck in the room with all the questions like, why did he do it? And how? And, and was it worth so I started writing more and writing more, all kind of people, not, not even knowing who the people were. It was like, just like I could write my deepest secrets on a piece of paper, send it to somebody in America that probably would laugh about it or, or, or something. But the only thing that I wanted to know is, is it worth what you did? Because the voice is telling me to hurt somebody because that person hurt me. And I never really had the, the answers, but I had friendships and people were nice to me and, and I felt like loved and, and I saw brothership in some people. And every time they sent me a gift, I put it like in my house and then wanted to show other people like, hey, you know, Dennis Rader? Yeah, that's a sick motherfucker. Well, Dennis Rader sent me this piece of art. Isn't that beautiful? And people could not see the beautiness in a piece of paper. So I start collecting because my girlfriend always said it's, it's history and we have to keep history alive. So in my head, I always told me like, I don't collect true crime. I collect history stuff. And in the end, it, it is not what I want to. In the end, it's just only what I want to do is how do I face the person who took my grandpa's life? I just want to have answers from a real serial killer. And it's, it's it's something that I always probably should do because I'm from the Netherlands and our law here is much, but really much 
less than America. For America, you go for everything you go to jail, and the Netherlands don't. So I try also try to help the inmates and want to hear the story and then try to help them out with whatever I can. But it's always dangerous what you do because I remember one day I had uh, you guys called the F FBI or CAI in the Netherlands we call it the IFAD that's the biggest top of the police world I wrote Dylan Roof and I wrote him a normal letter so I introduced myself and stuff but I end up with the, the, the lyrics and I said to him you're never alone, I will support you no matter what. However, I didn't know that that was like red flags for America police. So one day I got knocked on the door, I opened the door and two police officers standing in front of me and they asked about me. And I didn't let them in, I said, what's the problem, Mr. Officer? Is it true that you wrote a letter to an inmate? I said, well, I've sent more than like 800 letters to inmates. I said, that's not illegal. Well, there's one specific person that you wrote. I said, well, I don't know, man. I, I, I wrote big, I wrote small names. So they showed me like the paperwork that they, they have permission to come in your house. So they come in my house and they saw like a little collection of me. And they start laughing right away and they ask me, What's that? And I said, well, I'm collecting items and history items from inmates that I'm getting. So what's the problem here, Mr. Officer? And they told me that because I wrote Dylan Roof and I, I showed sports that day that the American police, so the CSI, thought that I might be a new school shooter or worse. So they came into my house looking for weapons or other stuff drugs baby and that one day changed my whole life because since that day i'm on the blacklist international and outside so that means every letter that come in with my name on, on every package that come in with my name on will be checked and if they do not trust it they can hold it so that is the dangerous side of true crime collecting slash writing inmates that I find out. And I told the police officers the right thing that everybody telling is like, hey, I just want to face the person who I think that my that, that got murdered, my, my, my grandfather. And all I want to do is face the person and ask him why, but it's, it's so it seems to be so hard because a letter is just a letter you send out to America and two weeks later you get a letter back or you don't but facing a real person knowing that it could be wrong that that's that's kind of scary and the whole collection went from a gift to collecting history I guess and it's it's not bad to collect history. I mean, everybody can say what they want about it, but I don't harm anybody, and I don't see any anything bad on it. I just want to 
have answers. And then and I ask myself, is, is that wrong? So yeah, that's kind, that's kind of my story that, that that's, I'm just a lost soul right now, opening all kind of doors to get the answer that I want to. And that's kind of hard. And I'm trying over and over and over again. But in the end, I don't try to help myself. I try to help my grandfather, I guess, and trying to help other families to get peace as well. Because if I have an answer why a person did it, maybe I can help others also out with having an answer, I guess. So that's that's kind of that's kind of my story, and and I always looking for other people in Europe or the Netherlands himself, and also collecting. And and if I find somebody, I want to know what what their reason is to write an inmate or having contact with somebody on death row, because. I don't think it's something that you wake up one day and it's like, hey, I want to write a letter to somebody who murdered his whole family. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my thing that I'm stuck in my own bubble and trying to do this podcast to, to ask more people for help. Like, if you recognize yourself in it, and you have help for it or you know you can help me then i'm open for it because i don't know if i do the good thing or the bad thing right now because even with the answers i want to i don't get my grandfather back you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. so yeah Trying to think. Actually, it's kind of where you talked about Dylan Roof and stuff. That's I wrote him, but never heard anything back. I know some people get. I saw a letter for his for sale, but I've heard other people here. They had wrote uh, the Unabomber, Ted Kaninsky, and a few other people, and like the FBI showed up at their door, like you said, kind of like a red flag thing. I don't know what their letter was about. But yeah, they basically came knocking on their door because it was other bombers they wrote. Because which Ted Kaninsky, he's now moved because they said he had cancer. But uh, Super Max Colorado, I think, is where they were all at. Like all the bombers, they said if you wrote anybody there, they used the FBI showed up at your door wondering what you're doing. Which, um, like, on my personal opinion, with like why I do what I do. It's kind of the same concept in a way. Uh, just kind of like I've always been fascinated by how, like you know how the mind works and why people do what they do. And I always find like um, children cases very interesting. You know where they like, ah, you know we have kids, but like I don't see how somebody can look at them and be like, I'm going to kill this child. Like you know what I mean? Like what breaks in their mind? Uh, oh, yeah. Which I kind of wonder if it goes back yeah. to maybe their childhood, maybe, and they're just kind of maybe at that age. Yeah, in the Netherlands, we don't see much of child murders or child molesters popping up on the on the news. I don't know why. 
I think maybe because we got like uh, gangs of people that um, looking for child molesters, they pretend to be like a little child, and when you come to visit the child, they beat you up to death. But I also, what you said, like I wrote a lot of big people, and my wife wasn't really happy that I wrote Juno Bumber, and it wasn't really that I want to write him. It was more like, I guess, the feeling of having power. Like, hey, he writes me back. Because if you ask a similar person on the street and you say, hey, can you give me three mirrors? Then they always say probably Charles Manson, Richard Ramirez, Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy, all, all, the, all the normal things. But if you go like deeper, and you say, like, um, let's say Luca Magnata or Nico Klaal or, or something. Nobody will know who you're talking about. And I wrote people like Luca Magnata because I don't want to support him. I was pissed off of what he did. And as a human, to another human, I just wanted to him that he reads what he did how he hurt people till the day today and one day i remember that as yesterday i had some people working in my house and the door was open so the mailman came by and he dropped a letter on my doorstep and one of the the, the guys inside my house they come to me and said here your your mail it was just like a regular envelope with my name on it like three stamps no name on the back, and I open it, and, and I start reading. I saw first, like, three little stars, some hearts, and a smiley, and I start reading the letter, and I look at the back, and I saw Luca Magnata, and a lot of emotions came through my body. I was mad, and I was crying, but I also was, like, kind of happy, and I wanted to be, like, tough guy that in the true crime world they say to another collector like hey man I gotta look at another letter and I was surprised that he wrote me back after I wrote him like a really pissed off letter and he just like ignored the whole pissed off thing and I could not believe why he did that he just came out of nowhere he started talking about aliens and stuff and in the end of the letter there was something that I will never forget he was asking me if I could help him with a YouTube channel because he had some videos he wanted to put on the internet and that kind of scared me off because I don't want to be involved in a case and I was like hey why do I get this letter because normally the, the, the guards read your letter before them send out. That's, that's what they told me. So I wrote him a letter back. And it took him like three months or something. And I gave him my phone number. And I remember one day I got called from a number from Canada. So I pick up. And then you hear like the... the uh, you know how it goes like this. Uh, this is the facility of Canada, blah, blah, blah. Inmate Luca Magnata, fresh one. So I knew it was Luca Magnata. And I did not know how to react. So I pressed one and I 
put it in my ear, shaking, like really shaking as a little motherfucker. And the only thing that I heard was like, and I was like, hello, Luca, is that you? And that goes on like for three minutes. And I was starting like, hey man, are you okay? And stuff like that. And out of nowhere, like he hang up the phone. And I was like, shocked i was like what the fuck was going on here was he trying me was he want to have some information was he checking if i was real so the whole day i felt bad and then like a week later and another letter same envelope no name on it so i opened it and this time there was a guy called john dill he claims to be uh, an inmate that knows luca but Luca had, um, there was something with Luca, I don't know what's going on, but if you want to write Luca, you can send all the letters through me. So what, I was kind of curious about this John Dill. So I Googled and I came out on John Dill was a famous golfer. So I wrote the company a letter, like an email, asking about John Dill. And the company wrote me back literally we don't know about this at all john dill is a golfer he's not in prison and stuff so i asked some other people to write luca as well and we got all the same letter but every time with another name but i checked the the, the handwriting and i put it next to each other it was the same handwriting and i watched a lot of luca so not only don't fuck with cats but also have found on some internet and there was some website that claimed that Luca had maybe had the disorder this. So you have multi multi people living in your head. And till that day, everybody gets the same letter, but with a different name. And I wasn't really proud that I wrote him because I was pissed off. And I did the same to Dennis Rader. I sent him a letter because I was pissed off and I got a letter back and I think it's a game that an inmate plays with you because he is inside and he can do whatever he wants because you know that your name will go through all the all the pots like he can write you and ask him about me and you print out a lot of stuff and information about me and you can send it to him and he knows a lot more about me that I already know. And based on that, they can write you back or not. And I made some mistakes by writing people like Una Bomber and, and, and the Boston, the Boston um, Marathon Bombers and stuff. But you scare the shit out yourself when the cops like like the FBI is standing in front of your door and I spoke to other people and they even told me that they had to give all the stuff that they had like every letter from Tenerife and stuff they have to give to the to the cops themselves so yeah it's it's complicated I mean it's it's you want to you want to know their story it's, it's, it's exciting to get something from them, 
but you also kicking on Satan his door because you know that the cops probably will show up and you will be under the radar and the cops will know everything about you. So yeah, if I would, I will buy a letter from Unabomber just to have in my collection and then I will list it like as history. But writing, no, I, I, if, if I write people, then I want to write people with a story and uh, most people that I write at the moment are just little cases mm. and if I write a big person, then, then it's probably because I pissed off at the moment and right now there are not much big names alive anymore and if they are alive they want money and stuff and that that's not a, that's not for me i just want to have contact with you and tell my story and see if the person can help me out because they really did the job yeah um trying to think uh Within the past week, I want to say, but a girl I've known for years in the true crime community, uh, she said that she had watched something on Edmund Kemper, and somebody had commented and said that her, um, I think her husband was a guard where he's at, and said that he's actually like knocking on death's door. So we might be losing Kemper here this, soon. She said she don't know, you know, if that's true or not, but that's just what the comment said. But she's she was trying to search and see if anybody else had heard that. Like I said, with the Unabomber getting moved, he got moved to North Carolina recently, and it said somebody told a pen pal that he had terminal cancer, so like that he could be dying soon. And we lost quite a few of them. Like like you were saying, like the whole history thing. That's the way I look at it as well. Which I always call it. It's it's dark history. But, like, a lot of people, especially where we're from, like, people, like, there was a case, uh, which turns out, actually, I work with a gentleman, and that was his uncle, but he had got murdered when he was, well, his uncle had got murdered when he was 13 by a guy. Well, he was actually in our area, and he had picked up four boys, and... Uh, I think he raped one or two of them and tried to drown another one, strangle them, and they all got out and, you know, went free. And I can't remember if he killed Danny. I think he killed Danny after that. But he went to Moundsville, and actually when they done, uh, when there's a riot that broke out at Moundsville, he was actually the one that got, like, stabbed and killed and drugged through the prison and spit and kicked on and I'm yeah he got tortured in there and well I had posted about it on my blog years ago and like a lot of people locally some of them was like you know yeah that's interesting I remember that and like a lot of people just like wanted it like not to be talked about but I'm like you can't really erase dark history it's kind of like with wars and stuff you can't erase it like it's there it needs to be talked about like you said, you know, maybe one day we can learn something. Which there's a gentleman I talked to. We're actually going to interview uh, here soon. Uh, roughly, I got to write him back. Roughly in September, 
And um, I'm hoping he'll still do it. But he gets out in 10 years after serving 40 years. I found a little, like, there's a little bit on his case, but there's, like, so no picture. I think I remember telling you about him. But he had literally killed his mother-in-law. Um, he, some things said he bit her nipples off. Some said that he left bite marks till about ripped them off. And I think he bit her thighs. He shoved a toilet brush up her, up her vagina. Tried to set her body, I think, on fire. And he went home. And he told his uh, wife, like, he took care of her. I guess his wife was, like, wanting to go see her mom and take their kids. And he, like, flipped out on her. And I guess just went and killed her mom. So he killed another lady. There's not a lot about I found a book and read a preview about it. I'm not sure what he'd done. To, I don't think he strangled her. But it said that he took her daughter and kidnapped her. But he left her out in a field. Well, I got to read and more, and it said, I guess he raped a little girl. She was like six, seven years old and like left her to die out in the field. And I just found it crazy that I think he got like 60 years, but with good, you know, good behavior and all that, it, it can get down to 40. And if he gets out in 10 years, he'll be like 72. And like I wrote him last year and he never wrote back. I was like, well, I'll try again. So I tried again a couple months later. Well, he wrote me back. And out of anybody I've talked to, like I said, his case ain't very new. Like, so there's no pictures attached to his case. There's nothing. Like, I've never, like, the case happened in the 90s, like early 90s. Like, you would think there'd be a picture, you know, of him going to trial when he was arrested or something, but I cannot find nothing. And, um, Somebody got arrested for the uh, where he killed his mother-in-law, and that guy was going to get the death penalty. Like that was on the table for him, but like his wife eventually came out and said, you know, actually my husband's the one that done it. I was afraid because I thought he was going to kill, you know, me and my children. But that guy, I forgot how long he served for. But yeah, and then you know they finally got him. But I just thought that was crazy that he, like I said, he's going to get out. After only serving 40 years. Because, like, the mother-in-law, just that case alone, like, that's pretty gruesome, you know, in pretty detail. And not even talking, you know, about the other one with the lady. I think she was 30, in her 30s, like, say, with a little girl and stuff. But I'm kind of interested because he, I guess in a way, like, he'll answer a lot of stuff. And he hasn't really... He mentioned that there could be more murders, but he ain't going to say nothing if there is. But he was, like, high up in the uh, army and stuff overseas for, like, a long period of time. But I think the way he talked, I don't know if it's just when he got back, he started drinking, and then everything just kind of down-spiraled from there. But he said he was interested in a lot of serial killers and, like, I guess researched them and everything, which I thought that was interesting. But he was talking about he has uh, an opinion and a theory that there is a serial killer out there, at least one or two, maybe three. But he calls them, uh, crap, Suspect Zero. But he thinks that Suspect Zero is like this ultimate serial killer that, like, they change their MO all the time. So they're never, you know, they never get caught. And, you know... Basically, anytime anything's on their trail, like, so they change it all up or change their whole game up. 
And I was like, it's a very possibility there's, you know, one or two of them out there, because, uh, I'm trying to think. There's quite a few that, you know, are not solved yet, which whether they be, which a lot of cases, though, which you not being in America, I, I, I know you research a lot of stuff, but yeah. have you noticed, like, well, especially here, like, there's cases, like, there's a guy I talked to in Wisconsin. He, I think, let me remember, he was a hitman. And. Like Kotlansky. Yeah. Like Richard Kotlansky, he was also a hitman. Interested yeah. man, but scared me to death. I saw his interview, and I was watching an interview, and it felt that he was watching through you, and, and, and yeah. I had hard times to watch that one. And. <laughs> There's a one big collector out there, and he sent me a message like, "Hey, man, I want to have a Kaklonski piece of you because I make art, and especially like serial killers. I'm interested in making serial killers." Mm -hmm. And we did a Kaklonski, and we did two skulls on the bottom with uh, Iceman on the skulls, and a big ass handprint of me with full full blood on it. And still, sometimes it feels bad. Because I don't want to think that people like, oh, you support that and stuff. But it was an interested case. And like you, you're telling me about unsolved cases. We got one person in the Netherlands, and you guys probably know about it, the Natalie Holloway case. It's It was an American girl, and she it's, it's ringing was a bell. on day. So this, it, it's like a very difficult case because uh, it was a lot of the Dutch television, of course, because like uh, a lot of people was on it. Mm -hmm. And he got caught on live television. Um, he trusts his best friends and he was sitting in his car with his best friends. But what he didn't know was like there was secret cameras and all kind of microphones and his friends I guess his name was Patrick. Let's call him Patrick. And he was asking Joran van der Sloot, because that's the person, about what happened with Natalie. And he did a full confession on Dutch television. It was insane. Really, whole Netherlands, like, exploding and stuff. But the weird thing about it is that he, right now, he is in Peru, in a chill uh, because um, he did another murder because the Natalie Holloway case was unsolved and I asked a lot of American people because I want to have more information and a lot of American people asked me who and I said what do you mean who Natalie Holloway case is one of the biggest cases from Europe right now I guess like same like uh, Madeline the, the, the missing girl it's like unsolved cases and it, it's still I, I try to watch everything on it like every doc documentary everything they're saying they're talking about like Natalie her father pays a lot of money to Joran to get rid of the evidence and stuff like that and <laughs> also what you're saying like I think it's really brutal and scary that like you living in the same town or city with a serial killer or a child molester that that's and that people get murdered like that you probably know of, of, of you know families of it and 
that's not in the Netherlands. The the rules here are like you guys gonna laugh your balls off because like murder is like six years, and if you behave, you can come out with four years, and attempt <laughs> murder is like three years, and on behave is like a year. And if you want to have death penalty in the Netherlands, you have to be like a terrorist. Right now, we got like two guys on death row. One is um, a big ass drugs cartel, and we have a lot of shootings going on in Amsterdam and Rotterdam. Uh, it's all about drugs, so liquidations, like bright day. You're sitting on the, on your bicycle. You hear three shots. You bend your neck, and you see like two people laying on the ground. That that is Amsterdam right now. And I don't know if they explain that in America, but that's what's going on in the Netherlands and uh, Belgium also. Um, Belgium, Mark Dutroux, um had a lot of kids inside his basement, and he murdered them brutally, and he is dying on cancer right now and those cases i never see people from america talk about it and all i wanted to know is like why not it's 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 if everybody share the story then maybe we can push all the heads to each other and and and, and america can work together with europe and say hey this is how we do it this is how you do it because if you do a murder in the Netherlands and you will be out like in four years, nobody can stop you for doing another murder. You know what I'm saying? Because you mm. behave. Your behavior is good, but behavior also could be like a game, like a poker face. Like, oh, I I, uh, I don't mess with the system. I do what the guards ask for me and I, I will be out. And... It's it's terrible how many kids have to be murdered and, and all kind of things. And we don't hear that in the Netherlands at all or Europe. I mean, if you ask me, then I know like a few cases, Germany, uh, Armin Maivas, Nils Hogel, French like Nico Klau, Belgium, we got uh, Marty True, the Netherlands, we got you off on the slopes, but like America, it's also a thing that really bothers me is like everybody can have a gun, and isn't that like giving a, a, a fat kid candy? Like here you go, mate, eat it. You're gonna be fatter. I don't care, and giving everybody a gun in America is like, hey, you have a gun, you got some bullets, you can shoot whatever you want, we don't care. That That's the whole thing that bothers me right now the most, because I think, and it's really getting me pissed off at all, if you took all the guns, in the Netherlands you have to need a gun permission, and you only get it when you are like a police officer, or like you have to do, you have a job with a gun. If you had a gun, then you still have to have a safe in your house, one for the gun, one for the ammunition. And America, for me, as a European person, is like wild, wild west. Everybody got a gun and, oh, you cheated on me, you're, you're dirty, whore. poof, you're dead. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the first thing at all that I'm asking an inmate. Like, 
it's isn't isn't it too easy for you guys? I mean, you got yourself a wife and kids, and I mean, that's what I'm seeing. But maybe you got like guns in your house, and you go to the supermarket with your gun, and I don't, I don't, I do not get that point of it. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There was a case I had. Uh, uh, it was on a podcast I used to listen to. But yeah, like you were saying, like it was. I think he was a retired cop, if I'm not mistaken. But this guy, they were at a movie theater, and the guy, like his little daughter, like called, you know, and he answered the phone. Like it was like during the previews, you know, how they all like do the previews before the movie in the movie theaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like James Holtz, like Batman, uh, yeah. the Batman case. Well, this guy answered his phone just to talk to his daughter real quick, and this old guy, he shot him and killed him right in the theater because he got on his phone. But I think, like I said, I think he was a retired cop. He was like in his sixties, I think. And then I remember reading about a case too, where like this guy, uh, I think he cut him off in traffic or something. Well, this guy goes to his house, shoots him right in his, basically in his yard. I'm like, how is that? Like, like I'm not against guns, but I'm not like for because if you go to about anybody's house, like you're saying in America. They probably have a dozen guns, if not more, and it's it's crazy because like people's got guns, you know, on like just everywhere, and you always hear about these kids, you know, oh, you know, they got their parents a gun, you know, off the counter, and you know, shot, you know, their brother or sister, like which I'm not sure about over there, but you probably hear how mental health services over here are just terrible. They are because um. I listened to a podcast last night, and the lady had said, you know, the issue is the taxpayers. They don't, the taxpayers don't want to pay, you know, to actually get people help. Because, like you said, people go to prison for a couple years. Like here, if you kill somebody, like the one guy that we had interviewed not too long ago, uh, uh, Nick Bryant, like his, his crime was a crime of passion. Like he came home, his wife was with another man. And they got an argument. He stabbed the guy. He ended up dying. And when he threw his knife, it hit his wife. Like, she jumped in front, the way he described it. Uh, He got 16 years. So, see, he's already served six of it. And then, like, with, uh, with, like, David, when we interview him, I've been talking to him. And, like, I was asking him, what was it? He got 82 years, I think he said, for his case. And I think he's, he's probably told you as well, but like, even with everything he could get out, maybe after 70 years is like the best. And that's still a long time. Like, uh, I found it for, you know, who, uh, Robert Joe Long is, well, Bobby Joe Long. Yeah. 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 I know him. I wrote him for almost pretty much up until pretty much till he died when he got the lethal injection, like I got an email a couple, like a month, couple months before he actually, and like, cause I remember writing him and he's like, Oh, you know, they're not going to kill me. You know, I'm going to live on death row forever. And then next thing, like his last email is like, it's all going down, <laughs> like flipping <laughs> out. But he had sent me a paper and I, he's like, I figure you'll find this funny. He actually got like 10, like the paper was saying he got 10 days off of his sentence. 
for good behavior or something. Wow. I'm like, he's on death row. Like, wow. he's never getting out. But he's like, yeah, they give me time off for my <laughs> sentence. But he's like, I ain't getting out of here. <laughs> but, yeah, with a lot of the unsolved cases, like what we were talking about, like, I think a lot of them can be solved because, like, with with you being overseas and stuff, they might, you know, open up more to you. But a lot of them do, like, you could talk to, like, a lot of killers and they'll be like, hey, yeah, I killed this person, this person. The cops don't do nothing about it. Like, I don't know if it's an ego thing or they just political thing. But there's a lot of people that have got killers to confess to other unsolved murders and they're just like nope we don't care like it's like they don't care i i think i think that they will be more open to me because i'm overseas mm -hmm. and i guess it's like hey he 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 not gonna reach out to somebody in america like i mean i just write him the whole detailed letter and let's go with the flow I think that that's it because I'm overseas that they were thinking like oh I'm safe yeah he can't go to like a cop or can send any anybody to to America that that's what I'm thinking because um, when I talk to other people and some of them like I have a letter from um, Mark Chapman mm -hmm. and it starts with a joke. Because I know somebody who wrote Mark Chapman, and I said, "Hey, man, I want to have a." I, I wrote Mark Chapman like eight times, and he doesn't respond on me. So he told me, "Well, I asked him if he would send you something." I said, "Yeah, man, tell him that I was looking for God, and I know on purpose that I gave you uh, Mark Chapman his information. I wrote, and you wrote him as well, and you never had something back." Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny, not not really to step you and I out, but like, I think that I'm overseas, that something is 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 itching, like some an inmate, like oh, overseas. That's that's kind of I'm kind of curious, and they never speak about the case, like like March and stuff. But they want to know about Amsterdam, and they want to know about windmills, and as soon as I write that back. The contact lost. They they just want to know things about Amsterdam and mill uh, uh, white mills and what's the best cheese and that's it. Yeah, I could see that. And in the yeah, and you wrote him, and, and nothing. So I mean, there is something in the image that that tickle his heart, like hey, it's overseas. Uh, maybe they where they don't well. Because if you think about it, like, Mark David Chapman's been locked up for a long time. Maybe it's just, like, he's heard from a lot of people in America, and it's like, why do I want to hear about America? <laughs> and, like, we live in West Virginia. Like, West Virginia is, like, a, a poor southern state. Like, the wrong turn movies make fun <laughs> of us. But uh, I could they see that. They have a good song. Yeah. I like a West Virginia song. Yeah. That's the only thing that I know about West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> but, like... I could see, like, with overseas, like said, like you said, just, like, the information, like, oh, it's something different, you know, I can learn about their, you know, how they live and everything, stuff they got, which I've noticed, like, with Dennis Rader, when I wrote him, and there's been other ones, too, uh, I do a lot of the paranormal stuff, that's actually what I wrote to Unabomber about, I was asking him about Bigfoot, 
So a lot of them do find the paranormal stuff and supernatural. Aliens. Yeah, aliens. Like, they find that interesting. And I can, you know, talk all day about that with them. And, you know, they'll ask questions or they'll be like, hey, you know, I had this experience, stuff like this. So it kind of depends. I know with like uh, where I talked to Dana and stuff, like she had sent me an email the other day. And because when I first wrote her, see, God, it's, well, might as well say nine years ago, she was like, you know, send me envelopes, like, what do you want from me? Like, if you want to write me, you know, this is stuff you can send me and all this. And I'm like, you know, I don't want nothing from you. Like, I was just writing you. And like I said, I've talked to her for nine years. Pretty much she sent, she sent me artwork, random stuff all the time. And, but she had said, you know, I treat her like a human being. Like, I, a lot of people, you know, go after her. Because she's trying to step away from the serial killer thing. But she's always <laughs> going to be known as that. But. She was like, you know, you actually treat me as a human being, which it's weird. Like, well, you, you understand, you know, cause you, you write, but it's like people on the outside, if you know, you're like, yeah, I treat them like they're a person. People would be like, what? They're a monster. Like I try to, like you said, everybody's got a story. And like with uh, Joseph that we uh, interviewed and stuff, the one that killed the 13 uh, year old boy. Like, he sent us, uh, what was it, like a 90-page thing of what he went through as a child. And oh, wow. and if he hadn't have went through that, and just, if he would have had somebody in his life that was a positive impact in a good way and actually kept him, I, he would have not have done what he done. And you see that a lot. It's like with Dana, she was talking about, she had like four miscarriages. She had an abusive husband, uh, which I think he forced her to have a miscarriage. Like he, I want to say that he like punched her, kicked her son in the stomach. She was on medication, and she actually sent me articles of the medication she was on because another guy like killed his whole family after being on it, and that was like side effects. Like was making like so like a lot of them has something which some people probably just kill to kill, but um. I read a book the other day. Well, I finished the book. You know where Bundy said, you know, uh, in one of his last interviews about porn and everything, being like the driver behind. Yeah. Well, this guy had wrote a serial killer. He he didn't say who he was, but he he had mentioned that as well. But he's saying like saying that porn's not the reason that he killed, but porn helps people like them kind of dehumanize people that's how they see them as objects like watching porn all the time they like i said just desensitize and like go out of their zone and be like you know they're not a person they're you know an object i was like that's that's an interesting way yeah. to look at it and i could see maybe that could be which that's probably not what bundy really but meant because he was trying to get off death row but i also think bundy um was mental ill and mm-hmm. I think that murdering killed the voices inside his head because what I said before, like I have voices in my head mm-hmm. since I was like three years old, since I can remember. And I have seen like every psychiatric tree that I can have and nobody believes me, literally nobody. So it drives me so crazy that I was just thinking about buying a fake gun, painting it black, 
put it in my backpack and when I have the girl or the, 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 the man in front of me just grabbing the, the, the fake pistol out of my backpack, put it in front of them. Just to just to let them know like hey, the shit going on in my head is real. I need help. I really need help. Mm-hmm. And my grandpa was everything for me. And I did a lot of things after he died that I that he promised me to be with. And I was telling people like, hey, I promised my grandpa uh, something at his coffin before he got cremated. And I want to keep on that code, the promise that I did. And I know for sure if he was still alive, that I probably would have wrote Serial Killer. Because when I was younger, my grandfather always told me about Charles Manson and Pogo the Clown. And... Pogo started up when I was um, moving out to a new house and we went to like a place in the Netherlands called Aubekla and there was a clown like John Way Casey and the guy did the same thing as Pogo and what you said before it's history and I was trying to look up for stuff, but then I ripped off the bandage too much and the government didn't want to say things and everybody makes jokes about it. But I just want to have some information like, hey, I was like, I guess, 14, 15 years old. And then my grandpa also started to talk about Charles Manson. And I don't know, it's, it's after my 20s. I always said, damn, man, I wish I wrote Manson. I think Charles Manson, for me, he, I also got him tattooed because for me, it's an inspirational person. And then I'm not talking about the crimes, but Charles Manson himself. The, the good old hippie making music on his rock with all the people around him. Well, we all know he drugged them and raped them, but you know what I'm saying? Like, the whole five, and I always said it like, hey, if I have the chance to join the Manson family, I would. <laughs> and with that saying, I wrote the Manson family. Uh, the girls never wrote back of all the girls that because Susan died. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce wrote me back, and uh, Dex wrote me back. And I never thought... But Tex told me some in some information, some inside information, and he was telling me why I shouldn't be not want to be involved of the Manson family, and that was pretty pretty interesting for me because I know he's all into gods and, and was talking, but he also told me like the bad stuff about the Manson family and. That was kind of interesting. And those things, I wish I could show my grandfather, like, hey, man, look, you talked about Charles Manson. I, I didn't write Manson, but at least I wrote Tex and Bruce. And that was pretty interesting. But from good, interested letters, I also have some sharp letters. There's one guy. It's the leader of the KKK. His name is August Reed Tree. And he wrote me a disturbing letter. I was just interested in the Klu Klux Klan. 
just like I wanted to know from a leader himself, what does it mean? What do you guys do? Like the inside information, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, he knew more than I, I thought. He, he knew uh, people from the Netherlands, like like the government. He, he wrote the names out and he wanted to, uh, that I prove to him that I was a proud white man. So he wanted me to kill the blacks and he want to have proof. And um, wow. he also sent me like a letter, like a piece of paper with all kind of information because in The Hague, one of the cities in the Netherlands, it's an international um, office for international cases like uh, um, America and outside Europe, everything. And that kind of scared me off. Like, whoa, how does this letter can go into my mailbox? He literally saying that I have to kill black people to make the world a better place. And that was very, very, very scary to me. And then I stopped writing with everybody for a while because I was like, whoa, this is, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. How can you have so much power when you incite? I want to see true crime as a hobby that I, I, I hear the voice behind the case. Like you're still human. You did something wrong. We can't say okay, but you're still human. And I think every case you don't do on purpose. Like you said, somebody is inside the cinema and gets shot. Why? Literally, why? Because you're pissed off. If the person didn't have a gun, it probably would end up different. So, yeah, it's, it, I just want to know story behind it but i never wrote this guy back from the kkk because he got me scared balls and how interested i'm in history and stuff there is still a line for me like i i made the promise with my girlfriend that i don't write child molesters no pedophiles um nothing to do with babies i did once her name is kacheng and she microwaved her baby two times and the baby was only a couple weeks old and i wrote her and i found her family stuff and the only thing she could say is i'm mentally ill and she showed me all everything that she was mentally ill but it didn't do anything with me if you are mentally ill or not i still want to know why you did it so how deeper i go into cases in america how more disturbing it gets and and i mean i also have like like fun people if i can call it fun i mean i gave some people that i wrote to you as well because i trust them i trust you and it's funny that they always do a checkup so you send them a letter and I get a letter from them like, hey, do you wrote this person? Yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah, I want to check up on you. 
But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad that I can help you out, and I can help another person out because what they don't want to tell it to me, they might want to tell to you. And the only thing that I want in the end is that the family have rest, that they have the answers. Uh, that speaking of that, going back to Joseph that we interviewed, um, what part was that? The part three? What? We had talked to him. Were you talking about the answers to the family? I still love what, oh, yeah. like, I talk about it all the time, but he had made the comment because, like, you know, being suicidal, because you had asked him, right? Yeah. Yeah, if he had, you know, wanted to kill himself when he got locked up, and he said no, like, he wanted to be there alive in case his family had answers or the victim's family had answers. He questions. wanted, well, yeah, I mean, questions. <laughs> yeah. He wanted them, you know, in case his family or the victim's family had questions, he wanted to still be there. So if they, you know, that kid's parents wrote him and said, why? He could be there, you know, they're not hearing it from the media or anybody else. They can come straight to him and he'd be like, this is what happened. And in a way, like, yeah, he done his crime, but I think a lot of them, that's a good mindset to have in a way, if you think about it. Like, he's literally like saying, hey, you know, I'm, I don't want to kill him. That's an easy way out. I still want to be here in case they need answers. And I thought, I thought that was an interesting way to put it. And that was like one of the first times I've actually heard anybody say something like that. Because most of them, like you said, some some will talk about their cases. If It depends on, like I said, I think it's more like their vibe they get. If they know you're not going to like, because, well, you know, in the true crime community, there's so many backstabbers and all that. Like. If they know you're good and you continue to be good, like help them out, which I always tell people, like, you know, I have a family I got to take care of first, you know, I can might, you know, send you a book or send like when we do interviews with them, like I was like, hey, I'll pay for the phone calls. You know, I can't give you money, but I can give you a voice and I'm not going to Well, you probably see too, like in a lot of interviews with like TV shows, they'll cut them out to make them look like, they'll say something, but they'll cut it to make it short, make it seem like, oh, they said this, when in reality, they explained a bigger picture. They just cut it down to make them look bad. And I try not to give that, you know, I want them to tell their story in a way where they're comfortable telling it and not somebody basically, like, bashing them for what they did. Because, like you said, they're, they're, they're still human, and it's just... Which, what was that quote that Richard Ramirez said about, um, like, we all we all have it basically in us to kill somebody or something like that? Like, it literally, it could anybody could do it. Like, it's just a snap. It could just be you're having a bad day and just overwhelmed. That's like the last thing sends you over the edge. Like, it, it can happen. But one thing I want to ask about your grandfather real quick. Um, like... The reason I'm in the true crime is my mom. Like, my mom, you know, documentaries, books. Like, if she's not watching the news, she's watching a true crime documentary, which I took it further than she did, you know, because, you know, I write them and, you know, well, and talk yeah. to him on the phone and stuff. So, what was, like, so what did he get interested in? Do you know why? Like, 
what caused him to, you know, to be interested in them? My grandpa was in uh, the war. I I thought it was Vietnam. And the story that he always told me is like, um, it was on the, the sniper. Mm -hmm. And after a couple hours or something, you have to change. Like, so uh, you go to bed and somebody else take to take your place. And he had to change with his best friends. And his best friends go sit behind the sniper. And my grandfather want to wish him, like, good luck. And before my grandpa could say good luck, he got shot between the eyes. And I think that is the whole thing that my grandpa always felt bad about it because he always said it has to be me. And later he he felt on a ammunition box and he twisted his knee and he always called that karma. But I don't think it's karma. But he always said that and and. I'm thinking when you're on a field where you don't want to be because it's war and three seconds of time could change the whole thing because if he would walk away three seconds later then probably the bullet missed but his best friend sit there and just got shot between the eyes and I guess my grandfather always felt that because he also told me like his father's was like a big alcoholic and he always beat his mom and my grandpa always jump into and fight his own dad mm -hmm. and my grandpa um, became a sailor while he stepped on a boat when he was 13 years old and since he was 13 years old he went to see the world and so, so as a young kid, he has no home. You see your father always drinking, and when he's drunk, he beat up your mom, and you jump into there, and he want to have his own life. And what I know and what I saw in, in his books and read that he had a good life on sea, and I see a lot of uh, places in the world and stuff. And then that moment that his best friend got shot in a war because they, because one in the Netherlands, um, I guess was like the, the 60s or 70s, while otherwise still like the 90s, every man had to be into the army, had to serve into the army if he wasn't 80 years old. So you, when you were 16 years old, you had to go into the army till you was, I guess, like, 23 or something. So my grandpa also had to be in the army because that's what the government said. And then he lost his best friend. So I guess that had a big impact on his life. And um, he was never scared for nobody ever. I remember somebody something he told me that one day my mom was on the street playing in front of her house with a friend and like a bunch of motor bikes came into the streets and it was hell's angels so my mom ran into the house and screamed for my grandpa and my grandpa stopped forwards and he stands in front of all the bikers and he said what do you want to and the bikers just said we don't come here for you we come for your neighbor 
and my grandpa already knew for once, so he left. He went back in the house, and the neighbor got like beat up pretty good. So I guess the moment that your best friend gets shot between the eyes changed my grandpa's whole life, and he never got scared of everything and any anything. And I don't know. He always. He always called me my. I, I was his favorite, number one. I, I, he always called me the devil because, like everything I did, I never listened to him. I was in the kitchen, and then he said, "Don't do that, Dakota." And I said, "No, no." A very irritating voice, and and every time I saw him, I said, like, "Grandpa, what's the no? How, how do I say no?" And he said, "No," and and we laughed about it, and. <laughs> It was always fun, and and he knew, of course, about my sperm donor because that's how I call him, my biological dad. He knew that he beat up my mom and stuff, but he never told about it because I guess didn't want to hurt me. So when I start getting into my teenage and I start like being a rebel and, and doing stuff and the cops come on your the cops come on your 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 door and stuff. My grandpa start telling me about like the heavy shit that really is in America. And as far as I can remember there wasn't much in the Netherlands. There was only one case. It was a child murder and they did like it took them like I guess twenty years because they had, they could not find DNA and stuff on it. So I guess my grandpa wanted to prepare me for real life. I guess because I was an alcoholic and I've been a drug addict for started on when I was sixteen. And right now I'm for six years clean, so 16, well, I was eight years addicted and I guess my grandpa wanted to scare me off with horrible stories because Charles Manson got drugs involved and, and I was already afraid of clowns because my sperm donor was a clown and when I think about it, maybe he was telling the John Way Casey stories to compare with my biological dad because he he raped me, he abused me, he left me on different places. They found me back like in 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 a bar, in in, in sex in sex stores. They found me on like uh, a coffee shop, and then not a coffee shop where you can drink coffee, like real coffee shop where you can buy weed for all the American people. So. I guess that that's the whole thing. Just your best friend got shot three seconds after you changed of the, 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 the sniper position. And that's what I know. And before he died, he told my mom that he wasn't really happy with the way my, my dad, like my stepdad, but I see my stepdad as my real dad, who treat me like that because when I was younger and I did something I could do, my dad punished me by putting me in a corner without foods, 
So I go I go to school and when I came back from school I have to stand in the corner until he came home and then I got like no food at all and he was talking to me till like sometimes three or four in the morning like preaching to me and I couldn't move and be I couldn't nothing like I had to stand in the middle of the of the room and watch him in the eyes and hear him preach and that's almost happening every day because. I wasn't the easiest kid, and not that I'm beating my mom, but like, like uh, he always said that I was hurting my mom, but like not listening to her or scream to her and stuff. And he thought that was punished me by putting me in the front of the room or in a corner for like hours without food and without going to the toilet would be good. And I remember that. When he did that, I'm getting all kind of, the voices started to explain like how I could kill him or how, how I could hurt him. And I remember one day my mom came to me and she gave me a note block. And she said, well, you have something to do when you standing in the corner or standing in the middle of your room. And I was making drawings and then wrote all disturbing things that I wanted to do with my stepdad for punishing me. And I guess my grandfather knew that because like a couple of weeks before he died, he came to my mom and he, he, he literally said like the way that your husband treats Dakota, that's not okay. He treat him like my father treats me and that's pretty that was pretty disturbing for me because i never knew what happened to him until i've met his sister I, his sister came up to me to on the front row and she hugged me and i'm pushed away and i said sorry lady but i don't know who you are and she said well i'm Hans reed and i said i i don't know who you are she said i'm the sister of your your grandfather and if you want to have some answers you can call me so one day I called her I go into Aunt Reed and she gave me some personal items of my grandfather and she told me the situation at home like that he got beat up and, and, and their dad was drinking and it beat up the mom and and, and my uncle my grandfather got all uh, cigarette burns on his arms and stuff like that. So that makes sense when my father, well, no, when my grandfather told my mom, like, hey, your husband is, is terrible for your child. So, yeah, that, that's, that's all what I can remember. Because what I said, I was like, an addict and I can't re much remember on that day I was using a lot of cocaine, weeds, booze, like everything. I was that desperate that like even a handjob with alcohol in it, I would lick it up to just kill the voices in my head and, and, and don't feel any pain of every punishment I had as a child. So I guess it all started with your best friend that died in front of you and you couldn't give it a place or a voice and then you 
build it up with emotions. And my grandpa ran away from the reality. So he went on sea. And I guess he tried to warn me some, somewhere by telling stories. Or maybe he was trying to give me the real information. But he was, like I said before, like comparing John Wayne Casey with the things that happened to me. Because the guy was also a clown and abused me. So I guess this that's the best answer I can give you in question right now. Um, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, sometimes it's hard to look back on a childhood like that and compare it to things. I understand how it could be really scary. Yeah, it's, uh, it's follow you every day. And when you hear story for other people, then you want to help them also. But how can I help them if I couldn't help myself? And maybe because I wrote things down in the, in the, in, in, in the book that my mom gave me, helped me a little. Because like years later, my mom gave me the book back and I was shocked about the stuff that I said because since I'm clean and I'm with my girlfriend, my dad tried to be a dad to me and I don't can't look him in the eyes and, and forgive him. But I wrote him a letter one time and I told him that I love him and he have the paper framed up and it's next to his computer so it, it feels good for me that it feels like he he is sorry or something but it's still it's still hard it, it, it's it's i mean no child ever should be punishment or or yeah you can punish your child but like not by putting them in a corner for like hours with going to the toilet or without food and yeah it's just only the only thing that i can do is like telling it and hoping that somebody recognizes him, himself in there and go 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 get help as soon as possible. Really get help. I wish I could have helped that. And I had help, but booze and alcohol and, and drugs doesn't help you at all. It just medicates your brain for a couple hours. Uh, one thing before we go, um, you actually uh, made a... Uh, I want to make a point with you know you being in the Netherlands we're in America um how does uh they treat it over there like when you mean like get help like cause I know here like say stuff's going on and you sometimes people will help but then a lot of times say a kid goes out there and says hey you know this is happening at home like they either don't believe the kid or it kind of blows up and kind of backfires to like 
say they kind of might mention it to somebody and then the parents say, say the parents abusing the kid, like, you know, like in your situation as well. And it's like the parents do more of a backlash from the child and then it doesn't get help. I know like in America, you see a lot of cases like that will be like, uh, which I think didn't Daisy say that in our interview saying that like, when you go to say like a therapist or a counselor and stuff saying, you know, they're like, we're not going to tell nobody. And then they go and tell their parents and they get the backlash. But like I said, we see that a lot here. Like the kids, they ask for help and they're like, say either pushed to the side, like, Oh, you know, you're a kid. You don't understand the problems like that. And there's like no help. And then you got, like I said, some cases people do get them help. In some cases it's just overlooked. And then, it comes in a situation where, you know, it's too late and the kid's already, you know, like could become a, you know, school shooter or end up killing herself, get addicted, you know, to drugs to try to escape what they're, you know, the demons that they're trying to run away from. Do they actually do anything over there that like if a kid says, hey, this is happening at home, like do they really, as soon as that happens, somebody goes there and gets it all taken care of and gets the ball rolling on it? Well, we got uh, a couple of things going on. Uh, first of all, you can call like a number, like anonymous, and you can uh, explain, and then a counseling will drive by something some, sometimes, or they will speak to the uh, parents, or they will find out where the children are on the school, and they will speak to a counseling at school. And then you get picked out of class and then you can tell your story. Um, also, what is new right now, since a couple of months that I find out, is that um, when the government see your um, uh, your back, your background story and they trust it, they can go by your house and they can take your kids with no reason. And if they, you ask them, why they, do you take my kids? Then they can say, well, you was a drug addict, you was in jail. You, uh, they even take your kids if you have not a lot of money. So if the government think that you can't, um, can't get your kids like clothes or school or anything, they will take your kid away. And for like teenagers well we have like a lot of um how you say it like child phones you can call like it's like a, a zero eight hundred number you can call and then there will somebody pick up and there will be a voice so you can ask literally everything like from hey how do i ride a bicycle to my mom beats my father and i'm scared because i'm laying in my bed and everything so that, that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing at all. Um, otherwise, we got like uh, counseling, but like we got long wait lists because uh, of coronavirus. Everybody gets more insane and stuff. But also, a lot of people quit their job, so less counseling. A lot of clients, but. Um, most time is we got like a lot of lot of we don't have school shootings here in the Netherlands that I know of. I guess that's because like every child will pick out of class sometimes, and you 
have like a conversation and I don't know if you have it in America but we have like um, counseling with the parents every month 10 minutes and then you're gonna speak with the parents and with the child and um, let's say the child is, is very quiet in the class and they're gonna ask the parents like hey is your kid also quiet at home so they try to find a solution because yeah there's something going on so we have that i think we have a lot of counseling ways also it because it's like on on billboards outside everything with numbers on it we also have like a suicide hotline if you have a depression or thinking about suicide you can call that as well and they uh, will try to help you um they also will track your your dna not not your dna where you where you are at the moment with your phone so they're tracking your phone and then the police will drive to you and try to help you as well so we have that but like I think now for a couple years, because we had a, a time that we had a lot of train jumpers, we we calling that, and a lot of depression people, and and and, and nobody would hear them. Well, like you said, and now you can go, you can even go to the doctor. If I if I'm feeling like depression, I go to the doctor, and and before the doctor like giving me medication they ask me about my problems and they will give you right away uh, a counseling so that we, we have a lot but the, the biggest step is that you have to speak up yourself because I can't see on you when you're smiling that you are crying inside I can't see that on the other side so we have it but you have to make the first step at all. And I guess that's one of the things that in Europe are less school shootings or uh, child murders. Well, at least in the Netherlands, last times is a lot of like 30, 30 year old kids that, that that's killing each other because like knives are sort of allowed in the Netherlands. Not every knife, but a lot of knives are uh, allowed, and you can buy that in like uh, dump dump stores. So a lot of people have machetes or or butterfly knives because it's it's a weapon, and a lot of people want to protect themselves. I don't know why, but but yeah, there is there is counseling, but you have to ring the bell yourself. Yeah, trying to think with, like, we have stuff here, but it just seems like, I don't know, how would you, how would you talk, like, they, I know your issues, it's kind of like they just wrote it off and just, like, gave you medicine that you didn't need, like, instead of listening. Yeah, they push medication a lot, rather than counseling, because they get paid more, and if you're taking medicine consistently. Yeah. Which medicine does help? But you guys have, really have to pay for everything. <laughs> like going to a doctor, yeah. asking for counseling, yeah. does <laughs> cost money for you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know. Like, unless you have like a medical card or something, but if not, or like insurance, which depending on your insurance, you might pay quite a bit. And 
you get like the base. Yeah, you get like the basic minimum. Like your uh, insurance will pay part of it, and then you pay the other part. Which is We have like we pay uh, amount of money every month, and then we have like you can go to up to five hundred dollars. Oh, we got euros, but it's easy to say dollars, and uh, everything above you have to pay yourself. But everything under the 500, the government pays for you. So if you have to go with an ambulance or you need stitches or you need counseling, as long as it's under $500, it will be paid by the government. So you, I can go to the doctor uh, for like uh, just saying, hey, man, I'm depressed. I need help. And I'm getting counseling for an hour. And cost me nothing that's awesome i think if you change that in america as well if you make that for free then the maybe the the crime rate will will downsize because the most murders are or from an addiction <clears throat> or from aggressive because of your childhood that because that that's what i think of when I read all the cases in America and I, I, I read the profile and, and a lot of serial killers they, they always saying yeah I was abused as a child and, and I had no father my mother was an addict an addict so I think if you put the guns away and make the the, uh, the medical stuff cheaper or like we have in the Netherlands insecure till 500 I guess it will be a less lower murder rates. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's... Like, there's so many things that they could do, but it's... If it ain't if they ain't making the money, they're not going to do it. That's the way they look at it. That's why you see so many things, like... It's like, the price of living just continues going up. And they're like, oh, we made all this profit, and... We'll just pocket it. It seems like it's just, it's just crazy. I'm not even sure how much an hour of counseling would be here. Oh, it's like three hundred dollars. But really, that's not too. Excuse bad. me. It's not too. Yeah, <laughs> that's very expensive. Everything is very expensive. Like even just medication, like diabetics, they're paying like eight hundred, nine hundred dollars for insulin, and it does not take that much to make it. Yeah. A lot of people can't. But if it. you do not get your medicine, then you die, right? I mean, you can. Because when I look at America, there go so many things go wrong in America, and I don't understand it. And it's funny when I write with an inmate, they everything want to know about the Netherlands, and they always go, they always call it the land of, and it's not the land of. It's 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 not a European or an American thing, it's a personal thing. It's a human race thing. Mm, yeah. I'm trying to think, like, crap, how much does your ambulance rides like, cost there? Speaking of that. Because I think here is like not. thousands of dollars. Yeah, thousands. I'm not sure if it's like the distance. Because people in America always make jokes about 
uh, don't call an ambulance for me unless you unless you ask because it's expensive. I'm trying to think how much that is. Like people would rather just like fall out and die rather than have to pay for an ambulance ride. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sad, honestly. No, we we we. We have to like you got nine one one. It's nine nine when you call nine one one. Is it only police or is it also firemen and ambulance? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure all of it. It like they'll connect for you. Yeah, they might like if they all don't show up. Whoever got there first may be like, hey, we don't you know need this branch or something. Like when my mom had an issue. Was it last year? No, no, it's been a couple years ago because my papa is still alive. Um, like we had, because we live in a county that's we have a different county address, but we live in another county. So the one lives farther away than the other one, so they always have issues because they're like, "Well, you got to go through that county." So I had to go up to the end of our road to make sure they got to the right spot, but only the ambulance showed up though. When they called nine one one for her, and she got rushed, she had a allergic, a bad allergic reaction. Like if, like if you call nine one and you tell them, "Hey, I need medical attention," they'll send an ambulance. If you say it's on fire, they'll send a fireman, or you can let them know, like, "I need a police officer." There's a domestic something. Which like, usually they'll send all three, just depending on the situation. Like, so they might say something like a car wreck. You're going to get ambulance. Sometime fire department, depending on what it is, like in case something happens with a car and you got the police there, stuff like that. So, yeah, it just kind of varies. But you pay for all all three of them. So if you call like, hey, there's a shooting and there is a there's a victim and my car is on fire, the all three showed up and who pays them? The person who called 911? That's the person who's going to pay for everything? No, it's, uh, like, if you have to be treated, like, if they show up and you need medical attention, they take you to the hospital, then you pay for all of that. Yeah, they'll... Or, like, your insurance, like, however you can pay it is how you have to pay it. It's, 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 it's... America, for me, in my head, is a whole different world. I never understood America... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we, we European people always make a joke like, just just drop a bomb on America because we have nothing on America. How do you guys <laughs> um, watch to European people? Because like, I guess it's for you guys also a whole different world because you guys already, if you want to see a different country in America, you guys have to drive like for hours. I go to a plane. I, I go to England next week. I take a plane, one hour, boom, I'm in England. But you guys, if you want to go, if you want to go to like, I don't know, let's say uh, Texas, how long is how long do you drive or fly to Texas? Uh, it's like days. Let me Google it. Real quick. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure. I, um, if you drive, it's going because like when I went to Florida, uh. We stopped in a couple states and like slept, but it was at least half a like sixteen hours, if not more, drive. But like Texas, I've never been out out west. But you're looking at planes. It depends though too, because I have a friend that I work with that I met 
uh, he went to Alaska and he had to drive. Was it? In Ohio, he had to drive to Columbus or in Pennsylvania to get on an airplane, and then they had to fly to like somewhere else, and then they had to basically wait there for a few hours and get on another plane to fly somewhere. Like it's not a straight shot through. Like sometimes you have to get on different airplanes to go to where you're going. So West Virginia to Texas would take around 20 hours. It's 1,165 miles. Yeah, it's might as well say, yeah, 20 hours to drive to Texas to fly. Uh, two, it'd take a little over two hours if you, fl if you flew. Yeah, so two and a half hours to fly to Texas. And 20 hours to drive. So, might as well say 18-hour 18, 18 difference. That wouldn't be too bad. I'd love to go to Texas. A lot of Bigfoot reports <laughs> there. <laughs> but what, how do you guys look to European? Do you guys got a lot of uh, news from Europe? Do you, are, do you know any cases besides Armin Maywes or Nico of true crime cases? I personally don't. I haven't seen a lot covered on it here. Um, I will a little bit. Like said, well, listen to true crime stuff. Like I'm not too familiar with a lot of your cases over there. Like that way, um, which I don't know. Do they actually? Because I know people here. They always like, you know, like with Bundy, Gacy, and all that. Like, there's so much documentary, so many things, like. You know, they like they always make the comment they're celebrities, basically, and they get their fame like with all the shootings going on here. That's like all they talk about is the shooter or the killer. Do they do that over there? Like make them into a celebrity, or they actually just kind of just cover the case? Well, if we watch basically on uh, documentaries or movies, then I would say. England is pretty high in the rake lists. Ian Brady, Myra Hindley, mm -hmm. Rose and Fred West. Yeah, yeah they're pretty Dennis big. Nielsen. This well known for you guys, I guess. Um, Jack the Ripper, yeah. also from England. H.H. Yeah. Holmes. So, I mean, for me, it must be like normal for you in America that you know about the cases because they are big and some people like um, Jack the Ripper, they have like muse museums of and then they do like uh, tours like they do with uh, Jeffrey Dahmer tour I've seen on television. Yeah. But I don't think they really see them as a famous person because I know when Nico went to Armin Maywes' house that shake the beer. It really shaked the beer because, like, he was in newspapers and and, and uh, a photo with him of with his friends standing in front of the, the fridge that he that he that he uh, stole. So they are aware of what's going on, and um, it's funny because, like, most serial killer houses in in England and in Germany are still still there and. The people living in there and if i watch in the, like in america like there are some houses that still up i know tvo's house is still up and uh, uh mm. the, the old lady uh 
I forgot her name for a second. Yeah, I know, so, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but, but like, I don't see that they really give them like seem as famous or stuff. No, not really. I mean, we also do other things. Like I remember uh, um, the police officer that that killed the black guy in America, and how there were start riots, and how mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter started in America. And I told you before, like we had the same incident in the Netherlands, like a couple of years ago, where a white policeman put his knee on a black person and killed the person and we didn't have any riots nothing the police officer got arrested and fired well he got first fired and arrested of course and we had like a memorial walk in the city so by saying that only america wake the fuck up i understand that you guys mad I understand that you guys want to make statements, but it also could be different. And I wish that more crime stuff from Europe come to America to show America also that we're still talking about real human people from fresh and blood. They did something, they got arrested, they got the punishments, but they're still people. The person, the, the, the white policeman that killed the black person in the Netherlands, was he wrong? Yes. Did he have, did he got his punishment? Yes. He's still in sight. But we didn't start a riot. Yeah, I mean... We don't forget it. We don't put sand over it. But we had a memorial. We had photos. They were photos of the person up and they like uh yeah they did a the whole netherlands just shut the fuck up for three minutes it's we got four may it's the day that the netherlands got out of the war with germany and every four may every year we have three minutes of silence and we think about all the the soldiers that we lost on the field if i go to four of july independence day what you guys going to do, putting fireworks in the air, grabbing the gun. Yeah. Why? <laughs> please, just open, please, everybody who listens to this right now, please, grab your computer, grab your laptop, everything, Google more stuff for European, and if you want to change the world, start with yourself. You don't always have to use your gun when you're pissed off on your wife, yeah? I don't say that it's good to hit your wife, but I prefer for hitting your wife than killing your wife. Because you guys also make our future for people like me a hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I'm trying to think. It's, like, it's, it's, it, in the end, it's still it, in the end. I'm still that guy who lost his grandfather from. Uh, uh, I'm still that guy who lost his grandfather, who got killed in my head by psychological games. That is looking for answers. It's only right inmates 
to understand and try to step inside their minds for how far you have to go to really pull the trigger. But we're still human. And the only thing that I wanted to do with this podcast is sharing my story and I want to wake America up. There is another way, but just open your eyes. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. With, well, how long America's been around? I understand, it's just, I understand it's hard for you because you probably a proud American and you're a proud dad and you're a proud husband. <laughs> We're so not proud I got all respect for you guys. But I just, just wanted to show you how it also could be. Every time you share something on Facebook of a from like true crime or black life matters then i read it and i read so much hate and comments and stuff and then i'm always thinking why why america why 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 that's that's the whole question that i have and and it could be different because as long people killing each other without no reason there will be more people like me waiting and searching for answers and the only question we have is why mm -hmm. because you also can grab the horn by his balls and face it don't kill it face your problems that's the only thing that i try to do with writing inmates is getting their voice out i want to know their story and i want to treat them like humans yeah. And I hope one day I can face the person that killed my grandfather. Gonna sit down in front of him, watch him in the eyes, ask him without any emotion why. That's the only thing that I want. That's that's my personal goal to face the person. That's the whole reason why I write inmates because I wanted to know from somebody else because I know for sure I can't handle the truth why he killed my grandfather because then I will die slowly inside because of the real hearts cold truth mm -hmm. right yeah I completely agree um, before we wrap this up is there anything else you would like to add when you listen to this Close your eyes for a minute and think about the loved ones that you lost. Not not of murder or something. Just just close your eyes and think about the loved ones that you lost and, and whisper slowly that they love you because they always will be with you. And remember we all from flesh and blood and we all make mistakes also you that listen right now you probably didn't kill somebody but not paying your taxes is also making a mistake in life